This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey, hey, welcome back to Ospol Snack Pod, the podcast that is kind of like Coke Zero. Tastes almost like real news. That's right. This is Ospol Snack Pod, the podcast that brings you bite sized chunks of Australian politics and news with a side of crispy memes. We're also the official podcast uh, of the Ospol Shitposting Facebook group. So if you like uh, Australian politics and news and memes, head on over there and uh, join the group. My name's Noon, and with me, as always, is my co host. Hey, what's up? It's Zach the Snack. How you doing, Noon? It's very nice to be back with you again, Zach. Yeah, I'm doing all right. Oh, I'm, yeah. uh, um, you know, summer is coming, um, which is, as our mutual friend Cal said, is the Australian version of winter is coming, and, <laughs> and I'm I'm despairing about that. But other than that, I'm I'm doing all right. Um, not looking forward to a hot boy summer. No, no, not at all. How about you? What's going on? Hot, hot, steamy, sweaty, stinky boy summer. Shed boy summer. Shed, yeah. <laughs> Bacon roasting, broiling under the hot tin roofs, boy summer. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, well, look, I, the news fucking sucks. Current affairs mm. suck. Mm. Uh, mm. It's really uh, a challenge to <laughs> like read the news and not feel like complete shit. Yeah. That's my honest answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where I'm at right now. But we do, you know. We did get uh, a patron upgrade this week. That's, That's right. So shout outs to Caitlin. Thank you so much for that, um, for upgrading a pledge to five bucks. And uh, if you like the show and you want to support us financially, you can do it over at patreon.com forward slash Snackpod. And for as little as $1 a month, you get access to one, a monthly bonus episode. Um, this month we listened to, well, last month we listened to Tony Abbott's new podcast. Uh, it was quite bad. It was terrible. Yeah. Uh, and I also wanted to shout out Corey, who wrote to us about um, something that I mentioned last week, a guy called Andrew Bogut, who is a sports player who um, was quoted in a bunch of news sort of complaining about heavy handed police violence. Uh, and I did kind of say, oh, I think he's a conspiracy theorist, blah, 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 blah. Um, but Corey just wanted to uh, let us know that he's a real uh, far right piece of shit who was like Q-pilled and... Um, uh, generally quite bad. So, like, don't um, don't take my having quoted him as any kind of endorsement. We are not Bogut stands, not Snack Bogut pot boys. Is anti-Bogut. No, no, no. You can no. Bogut the Bogut. We don't want any. We've got a Bogut ban. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Here at Snackpot, we've got a little basket for uh, Bogut's, and we don't open. That's it. where they go. Yeah. That's it. Stays closed. Uh, also, a small correction on um, last week's First Nations story. I was talking about the remote indigenous community of Will Kenya, and I uh, used quotes from Monica Wyman and Monica Kerman, and it turns out those two Monicas are actually the same Monica. Right. Shout out. So I think it was Solidarity 5 ever mm-hmm, on the Discord mm-hmm. who pointed that out to me. So um, thank you very much for that. Yep. And before we get into the news, I just wanted to um, uh, shout out Clem Ford, Clementine Ford, who's did some cool like Instagram reporting on the shadow pandemic uh, and like uncovered this um, social media network that was being run by someone who it turns out is a member of the Liberal Party uh, and then got picked up by Real shadow News. Shadow pandemic is 
kids' a mental Facebook health group. Yeah, uh, dedicated to preventing the impacts of lockdowns on kids' mental health. Um, okay, but possibly actually forgetting this guy Just... elected. Yeah, astroturfing. Yeah, and, and yeah. then they posted footage of themselves doing cocaine on on Instagram. What? Whatever. It's a whole thing. Go look it up. It's a, a fun story. But that's uh, already more time than I meant to spend on it. Uh, but shout out to Clementine Ford. All right. So up first we have. It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey. <laughs> so noon. What's this week's blurst take? Listen, Zach. I'm not going to be bullied into doing this segment. This is a kangaroo court. Just because I agreed to make this show and then said I would present the segment is no reason to bully me like this. <laughs> sorry, I'm just trying out okay, some... I'm sorry, uh, for, sorry for bullying you on that. Yeah, I, I, I'm trying, uh, trying out some slick political operator moves that I've um, stolen from our Deputy Prime Minister, Barnaby Joyce, who gave a oh. speech to the National Press Club this week. It's very funny. Um, normally, the National Press Club is done at these, like, long, boozy lunches, and there's, like, you know... 100 journalists in the room um and this it was like four people and barnaby just kind of like standing in at a podium um because of coronavirus um the uh <clears throat> the speech was about afghanistan covid and infrastructure and he begins like this i mean sometimes i feel like we are a little over ambitious with the topics that we set ourselves for our weekly podcast <laughs> but <laughs> barnaby's just up there like you know what i'm gonna tick them all off the big three the big three <laughs> Afghanistan, COVID infrastructure. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we got 20 minutes. <laughs> speaking of, you know, biting off a lot, this is how he begins. After defeating Darius III in 330 BC, <laughs> Alexander the Great went onto the Indus Valley, creating the first noted iteration of the troubles of Afghanistan. <laughs> Thanks, Barnaby. Uh, consider shutting oh, the no. fuck up in future. Uh, also, I did a little quick Google 331 BC. Doesn't matter. Um,. Kind of I didn't Christ. watch the whole thing because I don't hate myself that much. And, you know, as that opening sentence shows, no doubt the whole thing is full of blurst takes. But um, mm. the, the particular one that I want to talk about is kind of the, the one that's hit the news, which is that in the Q&A section, obviously no one asked him about Darius III. He was asked about climate policy by... Massive uh, oversight. <laughs> yeah, no. Barnaby's <laughs> screwing up 20 pages of notes about <laughs> Darius III, chucking it over his shoulder. <laughs> Why Fine. People, I guess you can oh, I'm going to have to improvise something about my policy. <laughs> going to have to go off book. <laughs> <laughs> so it's asked about climate, climate policy uh, by Daniel Hurst, who's a reporter at The Guardian. Hurst reads out some quotes from the IPCC report and then basically asks Joyce if he agrees with those. And Joyce goes on a wild ramble. So, Zach, um, can we have that? Oh, yeah. Clip? You absolutely can. The intensity, frequency and duration of fire weather events are predicted to increase throughout Australia. Do, we, do you accept that's our best understanding you know, of the science? Well, um, I really don't like when questions are presented like that. Because it sounds like you're at a baptism on behalf of your child denouncing Satan and all his works and all his deeds and on and on and on it goes. If the question you ask me... Is I, do I believe that uh, humans have an influence on the climate? Yes, I do. How much? For you? But look, and if you uh, you then walk into the frame of saying I am now going to grab you by the ear and make you and, and make you um, comply with everything I say, and I won't do that because it's a free nation, and I can say and think what I like. Oh God, I fucking hate him so much. I will say the, the main thing I got that? from that. That's just a Jesus Christ. That's. 
Deputy Prime Minister is a very, very depressing series of words to put before Barnaby Joyce's name. But also, can I just say that what I got from that is that he was bored shitless at his kid's fucking baptism. He's standing there, the priest is like, Satan this, Satan that, <laughs> yeah, yeah, splashing yeah. water, get on with it. I'm fine, <laughs> obviously, I don't like Satan, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, this yeah, dialogue I mean, this is, is, goes Christ. on for a full three minutes, and I seriously can, like, it... You wanted to play the whole thing. I, I did. I didn't... Even that was just interminable, it's though, that one quite minute. a lot. That was 30 seconds. 31 seconds. Um, Fuck. Barnaby's point is basically, stop saying things that are true and then asking if I think that they're true, because I'm worried that you're then going to make logical deductions from those true statements, which I don't want to accept. And he just says that repeatedly over and over again, as if that's a good point on some level. And he sees, oh, it's a free country, it's like rejecting Satan, and I won't be bullied. Mm. He says all of those things multiple times. And then, you know, there are some other questions. Another journalist from the, the Sydney Morning Herald asked another climate question. He says, you know, uh, uh, he says, people say you must comply with my assertion, and that therefore justifies everything I want to do next, because otherwise I just go back to the initial statement and say, but didn't you just say this? Therefore you must comply with that. And that's bullying. That's not negotiations. That's just straight out bullying. It's like, oh that my God. is pointing out hypocrisy, my dude. It's not negotiation. It's not bullying. But he's just literally being like, now, when you make someone stake out one position... You then want to hold them accountable for ramifications of that position, and I think that is bullying. It's like, what the fuck? I mean, it, it does tell you a lot about you know what he th- sees as his role as you know a politician, yes. as the deputy leader of the country. You know, my like my responsibility is to essentially keep my nose clean of any accountability. Mm-hmm. Well, not to not not to actually have a coherent perspective. On anything. Uh, and in uh, fact, the less you can be drawn on, the better you are of a politician. You're right. Because he goes on to say something that, again, I encourage our masochistic listeners to go and listen to as much <laughs> of this as you can. So that's about 42 minutes in the, the video of the press club and the ABC. Um, but he says that politicians don't have, quote, competency to produce policy and that they should trust the experts. Um, so it's lucky oh, he yeah, banned like- pointing out hypocrisy. <laughs> Uh, just before that, or he might have an issue. Um, he also he also said that um, all reductions in carbon emissions so far have come from the country. And he was like, excuse me, uh, Daniel, um, do you live in Sydney or Canberra? Sydney or Canberra, which is it? Sydney or Canberra? And the journalist is like, um, Canberra? And he's like, well, exactly. Your emissions have gone up. Okay, um, and so Touché. yeah, he, he yeah. said he said that he's potentially willing to commit to some further climate targets so long as quote urban Australia pays the price if there's a price to be paid. Um, and it's like kind of, it's amazing how you get these the, these this same logic recurring at multiple levels. Like you know, our federal position is well, it's pointless for us to take any climate action when other people are still emitting in other countries. Yep. And then even, but within the country, like, oh, well, we can't start reducing in this one region within the country because no one else in these other regions is reducing their emissions. Totally. This is not, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, Total intellectual bankruptcy. And of course, like, 
I kind of see the, like, again, there's a generous reading where he cares about his constituents there, which I don't think is really true. But, like, unfortunately, the vast majority of our carbon emissions come from coal mining, livestock farming, and land clearing. And mm-hmm. all of those things are happen rurally, basically. Mm-hmm. And, of course, cities do produce heavy emissions, but almost all of it is consuming from consuming power and we generate our power rurally with coal so like mm, I, I see a pattern emerging i don't know i'm not like what does he want to do anyway yeah um so that's the end of barnaby's bad take but i wanted to rub some blurst salt into this take wound um <laughs> which is that australia has just finished our fourth hottest winter on record so that's cool. Thanks, Barnaby. Thank you so much, Barnaby. Thanks for really standing up for what matters. And you know, we spoke a couple of weeks ago about um, some Matt Canavan shit posting, which was along the same lines. Mm. You know, I heard someone say, "What about ISIS was... doing?" I mean, the tele- What's the Taliban's position on? Oh God! What, oh, Jesus Christ! Yeah, we didn't mention that one. But, and I don't think I really, you know, I think I sort of failed to articulate myself at the time in terms of. I don't know. It's just like these guys can only like their their rhetoric is all about concentrating discussion around climate action on what minor individual conveniences people are going to suffer. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a very like it's this very deliberate thing to make people only ever think about you know be afraid for what you might potentially lose mm-hmm. if we take climate mm-hmm. action. Uh, that's what that Matt Canavan stuff is about. That's what Barnaby's rhetoric is about it's about like i why would i do anything that could possibly disadvantage myself even if it it works in favor of the greater good like they they play to people's absolute like worst instincts Mm. they whip up fear around these issues and make it impossible Mm -hmm. to have any kind of nuanced discussion about collectivism about what we owe each other Mm -hmm. like you know it's all about you know on an individual level as politicians then being able to get theirs you owe us a bunch. You owe the country a bunch. You owe the rural places a bunch, right? Like there is collectivism, but it's one directional. And and like no, and I think it's totally rhetorical. It, it has no basis. No, in, of course. You know, he's yeah. not interested in no, the no, welfare no. of his constituents at all. But that's it. That's that's how he kind of justifies it, right? He's like, well, this is the game of parliamentary politics where I represent mm. my people and you represent your people, and so if we're all as selfish as possible, that's the right answer. And that's just not really how parliaments work, and it's not how society. It's not how. Work. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's a very unhealthy approach to things. De- yeah. Depressing, aggressive. He is an accountant. Way of thinking. So, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Mm. Well. Uh. Yeah. I mean, look, he's a clown, and it's fun to laugh at him, but like, he is genuinely a like, very horrible. He and Matt Canavan influence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they just, you know, I, I think I said it last time, they've just got an extraordinary amount of blood and misery on their heads. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're like, we're literally at the point where the Liberal Party actually wants to put in place the net zero target for 2050. You know, want is a strong word. Sure, sure. But that's but what like... they've politically decided, like, that's what they're yep. aiming for politically. And it is literally Barnaby Joyce and Matt Canavan and a couple of other mm-hmm. of these climate knuckleheads within the National Party stopping that happening. Yeah. Like, we've got some of the most amoral, selfish capitalists in our society being like, well, look, we could do something. And Barnaby's mm-hmm. like, 
What about our fathers? How dare you bully me? Yeah. Anyway, Fucking let's talk about a different shithead. Yeah. Shit post of the week. Shithead All right. of the week. <laughs> All right. This week, oh. I want to talk about uh, the moment that I've been waiting for all year. The anticipation has been killing me. Mm-hmm. But finally, this week, Family Voice, the conservative Christian lobbying group, yes. has announced their Father's Day photographic competition oh. 2021 winners. Wow. <laughs> wow, that's our first uh, actual air horn effect on the show, <laughs> despite going bow, 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 many times. That's yeah, I, was, I, came, I came strapped with the sound effect this yeah. time. Um, <laughs> So, if you don't know who Family Voice are, that yeah, they're a, they're a conservative Christian mm-hmm. lobbying group. They're not just like homophobic and famous for lobbying against same-sex marriage mm-hmm. or uh, having uh, non-hetero couples like adopting children or even having surrogate children. Not the but normal they also have a bunch shitty of, Christian shit. Yeah, they also have a bunch of other like terrible positions, which I was just like, these are unnecessarily. <laughs> This is extra bad sauce yeah. on top of a shit sandwich. Like, they're anti-weed legalization. They claim that weed has no medicinal use, which is just totally the opposite of the truth. Shit's they mentioned in the Bible. donation caps. It just grows like that. <laughs> I think about you saying that phrase all the time. And I have no... It's natural from the earth. It just grows like that. I, it I, just I grows no, like that. I, I have no use for this <laughs> mental image of you saying it, but now all of our listeners have it as well. So that's good. Now it's a shared, a shared meme. It's not just It's a me. gift from the earth. It's okay to just smoke that present. They're also... The Family Voice Australia have also partially defended provocation, which is like laws that basically mean it's okay to commit domestic violence if your partner has provoked you by, for example, cheating. Like this is the type of shit that they are in. Like they're well, deep look, into to be some fair, that's shit. also in the Bible, so that one checks out. Look. <laughs> I know as much as you want it to be, it's not a Bible podcast. <laughs> I've just been listening to the uh, up, backlog of Apocrypals again. It's that time of lockdown. Uh, yeah, sorry, I'll, I'll try to keep a lid on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, look, I opened myself up to the Bible, <laughs> to the Bible chats that's on me. But very excitingly, mm-hmm. the winner. Yeah, who this won? This year's Family Voice Australia Father's Day photographic competition is, it's the inaugural, mm-hmm. is... Drum roll. The Reverend Honorable Fred Nile, MLC. Um, the uh, the winning photo was submitted right. by the Reverend Honorable Fred Nile's parliamentary office staff. Uh-huh. Um, which uh-huh. <laughs> amazing. And uh, not from for example, one Fred of his Nile, kids. Reverable honored. <laughs> I mean, I don't know how many of his kids work in his parliamentary office. That's stuff. Tr- that's fair. But I know that um, he does. Um, and I. Fred Nile, I will point out, was the head of Family Voice Australia for mm-hmm. a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know when he stopped, but it, he started at the time when they were when they were under their old name, which I think was um, Festival of Light Australia. Really, is... not Family? Fe- oh no, that's the party. Sorry, this is yeah, a, yeah. This is an, an no, and th- extra yeah, but Fred Nile is um, he's the Christ- he's the leader of the Christian Democrats, yeah, yeah. about to step down and retire and make room for um, massive eater of shit Lyle, Lyle Shelton. Shelton, yeah. Um, who is stepping up to take uh, the leadership of that party, who has just gone into receivership, which is just... Perfect. 
it tickles me every time. Here's a quote from the Family Voice Australia Father's Day Photographic Competition 2021 page. Fred Nile is both a father and a grandfather uh-huh. and indeed often referred to as, quote, father of the New South Wales <laughs> Parliament, being a longest serving member of the New South Wales Parliament entering the Legislative Council mm. in 1981. The word often is doing a lot of heavy lifting in that sentence. Yeah, and and I was like, by who? And they've actually um, helpfully provided a link. Great. And it links to just a 2GB interview where they're like, Fred Nile, you've been in Parliament for so long. <laughs> they don't refer to him as fair to call you the father what? of the New South Wales Parliament? And, <laughs> I mean, like, I think that's a thing. The, the longest serving person is the father of the Senate or whatever. Um, so I mean, like it, technically that explains a lot sure. about New South Wales. Um, that's incredibly depressing. Anyway, this photo of him that has won yeah. is so funny. It's so fucking funny. This I can't encourage you enough to look, go and look at this photo. Is one of the times that the show really suffers for, you know, the, the conceit <laughs> of our show where we describe things that should be visual. It's just a very, it's just like in no way a good photo. It's got terrible <laughs> composition. It's clearly taken on a camera phone. Yep. And it's like Fred now looks weird in it. Like he's <laughs> so standing. He's staring directly down as if he looks, he's looking he looks at like his he, penis. Yes. It looks like he's spilt something on his crotch and he's <laughs> yes. like, how the fuck am I going to get that out? <laughs> but that is below like frame. And what is in frame is an empty part of parliament. parliament it looks a yeah. lot like my old synagogue which i'm sure he would not go into a synagogue for obvious <laughs> reasons but um he also looks like he's about to say something again like he's about to say like yeah. oh that's gonna leave a stain or something it's not an inspiring <laughs> photo and there's no children or fatherliness anywhere no. in this no, well, the part he's the his child is the parliament. Yeah, um, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's just it's it's very very it's... fucking embarrassing that they would like award this. I was like, oh yeah, it just happens to be our previous leader, yep. the arch conservative father of the New South Wales Parliament, but that they've cho- they couldn't find a decent photo just of like, him. Fred, just, please it's... take any other photo. Like probably like, just his the headshot from his parliamentary website would be better. Yeah, probably would have been better quality. Uh, anyway, uh, that's very funny. I thought I would also mention because it's also funny um, that the prize for this uh, <laughs> award is a garage door seal kit for either a sectional or panel lift or roller garage door valued at three hundred eighty eight dollars. Supplied by SYG. Seal your garage. <laughs> So the, the parliamentary office of Fred Nile should be getting that $388 in the mail any minute now. And, um, I don't know if this is where the funding for that prize came from, but there's also a $5 administration fee for every photo submitted. Like it costs five dollars to submit a photo to the Family to win this Voice Australia inaugural. 
<laughs> wow. And also all photographs once submitted into the competition become the property of Family Voice Australia for the purposes of promotion and for use in its publications. And uh, as I, as Holly said when I pointed this out to her, she was like, seems like they're doing pretty well off this. They get the photo and five bucks. <laughs> so, the family boys are doing they're doing just swell. No, um, but the thing congratulations. Is that they, they, they made exactly five dollars from it. Like, I can't imagine any other photos were submitted, right? Well, there like, is a runner-up. Oh, really? Two runners. There's two runners-up. Wow. I, I stand One... corrected. My my base cynicism has been proven wrong. I apologize. Well, the runner-up is clearly the actual winner. Okay. Um, because it's, it's, it's actually, like, a nicely composed, professionally shot image of a father and his daughter in prayer, in a, in, like, in church. And, you know... Heavenly light is streaming through the window, oh. and and they, but it's like nah, it's just this flat <laughs> fucking iPhone seven photo of Fred Nile staring at his crutch. Is the that's that's the best photo that we have. Just I don't know these people's fucking whatever. It tells you a lot. Tells you everything you need to know. Um, before we get off shit posts, uh, I wanted to also give uh, an honorable mention. To this layup assist from Nis Harkness mm-hmm. uh, on the Ospol Share Posting Facebook group. Thank you very much for Does this a lot submission. Of excellent posting, a lot of cat content, pos vibes, and also thanks for bringing yeah thank real you for content bringing the vibes. Posting. Yeah, it's good. The thanks, good Nis. vibes to to the page, Nis. We 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 really appreciate it. We appreciate you. Uh, we don't really appreciate this post though, uh, which is a screen cap of a tweet from Vic Rollinson, aka Doctor Queen Victoria, mm-hmm. which credit word due. It's a solid Twitter handle. Um, the tweet reads. And if you don't know Vic Rollinson, she's like the staunch kind of... You don't? No. She's like... She is a staunch Dan Dan Andrews and Vic Vic Labour defender on Twitter. And kind of like spearheads a lot of the like... uh, Uncritical support for Victorian Labour throughout the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Um, Real drip Twitter areas. Mm -hmm. This tweet reads, Proud auntie. My seven-year-old niece in Victoria, who has been the most stoic little lockdown home learner through her first two years of school, had to dress up as a superhero today. She went as at Daniel Andrews MP, wearing glasses and a North Face jacket. Uh, And there's a few emojis in there, too. Yeah. It reminds Um, me of the time Terry Pratchett didn't realize that I was in a costume. To be fair, it was a shitty costume, but it broke my tiny (laughs) little heart. And I'm sure that happened to this young girl. Someone was like, it didn't you? It was a costume day. You just wearing a jacket. Uh, anyway, if that happened, I feel very sorry for that kid. Yeah, uh, but I, it, luckily, I probably don't have to feel sorry. For yeah, him yeah, it almost certainly didn't happen. Thanks for the shit posting this week, everybody. Thank you, Niss, and congratulations to the right honourable Fred Nile. But now it's time to move on. Positivity. So we've actually got a couple this week, and weirdly, I feel like all of them are pretty unabashedly positive, Um, which breaks a long, long streak of A, having to scrounge, and B, them being kind of shit. I mean, I guess two of them (laughs) are, like, fixing bad things, but they feel better than a lot of other fixing bad ones that we've done. Um, So... Let's get into it. You've wet my appetite. Um, take a big sip of that COVID cola. Um, 
And I want to shout out uh, Jack from the Spooky Speaks podcast, uh, Daddy, for sending in this story. Um, which Thanks, is Jack. Uh, about a group called Bush uh, Bushfire Survivors for Climate Action, uh, BCSA. And they have successfully sued the New South Wales Environmental Protection Agency for not adequately dealing with climate change. Um, nice. Yeah. So essentially the EPA is required by law to, quote, develop environmental quality objectives, guidelines, and policies to ensure environment protection. And BCSA says they basically haven't done that in regards to carbon emissions. And the EPA argued in court that A, well, actually we don't have to, and B, but actually we already did it anyway. Um, and the court ruled that A, yes you do, and B, no you haven't. Um, so that's cool. So what does this I mean? I mean, it's not cool that they didn't factor in climate change when doing environmental protection, but right. um, it's good that it's been ruled that they now have to. Right. So, I mean, yeah, this is one of the ones that is fixing bad shit. So technically yeah. still a negativity corner, but it, I, I take it we're staying good. positive. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, and what does it mean? Uh, <laughs> so, well, courts can't develop policy themselves, but they've ordered a mandamus uh, that the EPA go away and... <laughs> 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 yeah, that's some fucking Latin in your ear holes. Um, they wow. ordered that the Fuck, EPA... I just got thrill-hoed. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that loud. Um, the, the EPA has to go away and sort out its shit and come up with some objectives, guidelines, and policies. So, um, interestingly... That was the, the judge banging their gavel, like, on each of those words? It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> objectives, guidelines, policies. So interestingly, these objectives don't have to comply with any specific outcome. So for example, they don't have to be aimed at preventing warming above 1.5 degrees, for example, which is one of the you know commonly mentioned benchmarks for preventing civilization mm-hmm. destroying levels of climate change. Mm-hmm. So it means that there's a potential for the EPA to start handing out huge fines for carbon emissions, um, which would be cool. My cynical side, which, you know, has already proven wrong once today, so we'll see, uh, says that it's likely they'll mean they'll develop policies that they mean that they don't have to do that. Um, Mm. So I read the case file. uh, This is sort of like a a postscript to this, but I read the, the, the case document about this court case, and there was a subheading, The Case in a Nutshell. Um, and I said in this, like the official in the like government in the legal court, documents. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So it was like all of the information, and then it was like the case in a nutshell, and then it it described it. And I um, got in touch with a uh, an anonymous legal consultant uh, to check if nutshell <laughs> is a common legal term. And their professional opinion was that quote sometimes judges have fun with their subheadings. So there you go. Sometimes a judge can have a little subheading as a treat. a little nutshell as yeah. All right, so that's one positivity corner. That's nice. Uh, next up, Queensland uh, moves to decriminalize sex work. So this is something that's happened in a few places in a few different ways in the last couple of weeks. And we've been mentioning developments as as they come along. Um, and so the state government, and specifically the attorney general, who's a woman named Shannon Fentiman, um, has referred this matter to the Queensland Law Reform Commission, which I think is basically a government body whose job it is to figure out, you know, the politicians like, this is the general policy goal that we want, and then they figure out options for how to legislate it. Um, so this is a quote from the Courier-Mail. There are currently just two forms of legalized sex work in Queensland. Services provided at a licensed brothel, and when a person is working alone from a premises, providing in-house calls, out-call services, mm. or both. 
All other forms are illegal, including escort agencies, unlicensed brothels, massage parlors, street workers who publicly solicit, and those who work in small groups, although they by far make up the majority of services being offered. Sex workers cannot operate in pairs, check in with a colleague before or after calls, work with another person providing them security, or employ another person to screen or book clients. Mm. So the not being able to operate in pairs thing is always the one that shits me the fucking most. Like, what possible fucking you know reason could you have? Like, in what way is that a positive thing to yeah. legislate on? It's yep. it's so fucking patronizing, and obviously puts sex workers in danger. In what the fuck? A lot of danger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, uh, the uh, I don't have the quote here, but this um, uh, Fentiman, the Attorney General, said something like currently sex workers are being forced to choose between safety and following the law. Yeah. Um, and obviously, like, not following the law also carries safety risks with it. And, um, yeah. So anyway, as usual, yet to see what this actually means in practice, but seems cool. It seems like Fentiman, who's kind of overseeing and actually understands and cares about the issue at least a bit. Um, I haven't looked yeah. into a whole lot of details, so, you know, um, feel free to inbox us with, like, Put her in the bogut basket, but um, <laughs> seems like a, a good person to be overseeing this process, as far as I can tell. So, <clears throat> cool. I All would right. say that is also good news. Now, the other two sides of our positivity square, the other two positivity corners, uh, are a little more personal. Um, one is, you know, just just one of mine, which is that my orange tree, which I've had for like four or five years, I got it as a birthday present for my parents uh, from Ceres, oh, and. That's um, nice. Yeah, it's finally produced. Well, I finally ate its first fruit. Um, so it, oh wow, like, three oranges ripened uh, th- this week. I mean, they've been ripening for a while, um, and I've been kind of like, you're, you're right, that bud. You got three huge, rock hard oranges, and uh, not a bunch else <laughs> going on. But anyway, I I uh, ate it, and it was delicious. It was uh, you know juicy, oh, wow. sweet, tangy, uh, looked nice, fantastic. Yeah, so hopefully many more oranges on the way. It's a little little. Spring positivity corner. Nice one. Congratulations yeah. on your tasty orange. Thanks. And the last one is that Senpai noticed us. Yeah, we got a little retweet mention from Seriously Wrong, which mm-hmm. is one of my all-time favorite podcasts. Um, it's another show by two very uh, soft boys who I would love say to softer talk about than us. Even softer, if possible. Yeah, and. Yeah, they and they have like a utopian socialist podcast where they go into a bunch of detail about uh ideas for how to make society somewhat improved. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. and yeah, they they were one of the, uh one of our biggest influences. And anyway, it's just nice that they uh know that we exist. Yeah, and, and uh, gave uh, us a little the, positive retweet. One of them retweeted an article that I wrote about them a year or two ago, uh about library socialism. Um which yeah, I reread and I was proud of what I'd written. Uh, which is rare. Normally, I read my shit and I'm extreme cringe. Um, so no, I think it's a really nice. good piece. Yeah, yeah. Check out Seriously Wrong's Twitter for Noon's work. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's the end of the positivity corners, and I think we now have some kind of heavy stories coming up. Yeah. Um. So we're going to move on to our First Nations story now, and this week, uh, we're just going to talk a little bit about. A documentary that has been released um, called Incarceration Nation. So I'll give a content warning here for uh, discussion of deaths in custody and police violence against Indigenous people and also for using the names of Aboriginal people who have died. 
so Incarceration Nation is a documentary by an Aboriginal filmmaker named Dean Gibson. Um, you can watch it now on SBS On Demand. Um, and yeah, there's been a little bit of discourse about it, I, I guess, on Twitter mm-hmm. uh, over the past week or so. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, look, I think whenever something comes out that really uh, sparks more conversation around, you know, the over-incarceration of Indigenous people, uh, it's important to engage with that and to to support that conversation. And, and mm-hmm. so that's why I wanted to chat about it this week. So, yeah, I had a watch. You haven't seen it, Noon. No, I haven't, Noon. Um, and, yeah, it's, you know, it's a good movie. It's a well-put-together documentary. Mm-hmm. It, it essentially lays out... Um, you know, basically a basic history of colonization uh, and how that has kind of developed into uh, this massively carceral approach that the state takes towards indigenous people. Mm-hmm. So it starts from the point of, um, you know, of colonization, of massacres, of discussing uh, the prevalence of stolen wages and slavery um, on this continent, uh, you know, during colonization. And then how, you know, that kind of transitions into uh, the criminalization of Indigenous people mm-hmm. leading to, you know, the, the, where we are now where, you know, Indigenous people are massively, massively overrepresented in the prison system. And, and you know, obviously we have this horrible epidemic of systemic racism and Indigenous deaths in custody. Um, so one thing about watching this history kind of all put together, laid out like that, is it's just really, really compelling, you know, it's a really compelling argument in, you know, for the, you know, that lays out the reality of the situation. Mm. You know, I think for people like you and I who make an effort to sort of engage with this stuff on a week to week basis, you kind of take these cases as they come, but seeing, you know, not just this historical kind of evidence around uh, slavery, but also, you know, going, going back to, um, you know, of TJ Hickey and the Red Fern riots and then Dondale and what happened to, you know, to kids in detention in the Northern Territory, mm. um, you know, up to Tanya Day and other more recent cases of Indigenous deaths in custody or, you know, pro- police violence against Aboriginal communities. Seeing it all laid out like that is really, like, it's really, really hard to watch. Yeah. But it's also really, really hard to refute, you know. Mm. I can't, it's really difficult to picture someone aside from like an arch conservative, like a, like a, like an Andrew Bolt or Mark Latham watching this and not going into it in good faith. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I think it's incredibly hard to refute that there's an enormous, you know, that, that this country is systemically racist and the genocide against indigenous people continues. Mm. I think that that is what this movie lays out. Mm -hmm. Um, There's been some conversation and some criticism around the way that the film is put together. Um, and there was a piece published in the conversation by Latoya Rule, Natalie Ironfield, and Lily Brown in mm-hmm. conjunction. Um, and it's honestly, it's not very critical of the film, but they do make this point. I'll quote From First Nations, for First Nations audiences, we conclude that your discretion is advised. We don't believe that this film was made for a black audience. As First Nations people researching, educating, and campaigning in this space, Watching Incarceration Nation raised a number of ethical questions that we feel are imperative to ask. 
How do we speak about violence without reproducing it? How do we speak about violence while ensuring the safety of our own people? How do we honor the stories and lived experiences of those surviving state-sanctioned brutality without producing consumable stories of damage? Um, and uh, they, they're going to say, we believe these critical questions required further attention from the creators of this film, specifically in relation to the impact mm. on First Nations audiences. And yeah. watching the film, I can 100% see why that is, because there is a lot of explicit footage of police brutality yeah. uh, and violence against First Nations people. Um, and it's, yeah, really, it's really, really hard to watch. It's really upsetting. It's very harrowing. And but there and there are these particular sequences in the film where they're the essentially minutes long edited montages of nothing but you know of, of nothing but police violence. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I mean I watching that I questioned you know <laughs> I I did question it um at mm. times, you know, as as a technique. Um but it, it definitely does also get across the sort of relentlessness um, of state violence against indigenous people. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, uh, it, I would say that it was a, probably, a, you know, it's, it feels like a considered choice on the, on the part of the filmmakers. And I would also agree with um, this article's conclusion that this film is not made for a black audience because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, all this film is really doing is, is making a very convincing mm -hmm. case for the the existence of systemic racism and over-incarceration of indigenous people. It's, you know, obviously if you're somebody whose community has experienced that, it's not something you need to be convinced of. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, that's one criticism which has sort of been discussed. Um, there's also been, you know, people have responded to that as well on Twitter being like, you know, that... <laughs> We need to support the families who are interviewed for this film, we need, uh, you know, because speaking up can be really difficult, mm -hmm. you know, um, and focus your criticism on the system instead of this film, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, it's not something that I feel in a position to take a particularly strong stance sure. on, but I can yeah. say that I think that it's an important uh, film for non-Indigenous people to watch, mm -hmm. 100%. Sure. Um, yeah, the, and as far as you know, offering solutions or way f ways forward. It's fairly reformist in its messaging. There is quite a lot of discussion about how to redirect funds that are currently um, spent on incarcerating people. There's a lot of discussion mm -hmm. around, uh, you know, it, it costs roughly half a million dollars to uh, keep a child in prison a year. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, what else could you do with that money? Sure. Which is like... <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, it, it's a fraught line of argument for like, me. So you're saying if it was super cheap, it would be fine, or like you, you open I mean, yourself up to that? Yeah, clearly that's not you, the opinion of the filmmakers. No, um, but yeah, I can see why. Yeah, and the other thing is that, like, I don't know. We see this all the time with politics. Like, I don't know. We've talked a bit about labor. It's a bit off topic from First Nations stuff, but like um uh Labour going after the job keeper money from yeah, yeah. Harvey Norman and so on. And it's like that actually this doesn't matter in the slightest. Like it sucks. It sucks that Harvey Norman got that money. It doesn't matter in the slightest. And now just recently they've given some money back and it didn't matter in the slightest. And it's just yeah. an example of uh, I don't know wrong-headed thinking about what's important and what gets through to people and where we should be 
Yeah, it seems to me that it's like it, you know this economic looking. argument is is pitched at sort of the liberal center, right? Uh, or maybe people kind and of who are center right. You make it come across yeah, because well, of that, right? Right. So that you know, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's ultimately. I mean, we can see the fact that it. We are already spending five hundred thousand right. dollars. Apparently, a year they don't care on one yeah. on. Yeah, like the fact that we got to this point shows that the, that economic rationale is not a you know it is not something that's going to break mm-hmm. through mm-hmm. to the political mainstream on this issue, um, and it also has a con- couple of weird effects within the documentary itself. Like they have interviews with the Price Waterhouse Cooper consultant who okay. talks about the like you, you, yeah the economics of mm-hmm. of incarceration a little bit, and I know that that's raised some eyebrows amongst mm-hmm. uh, commentators, including me. Um, and then, it, I mean, that's kind of balanced against this, like, sort of, yeah, it doesn't have an abolitionist perspective. Mm-hmm. There are mm-hmm. abolitionist uh, interviewees, for sure, sure. who say sure. that this, this whole system is racist and, mm-hmm. and it's rooted in colonialism and it needs to be completely uprooted if we're going to exper- you know, experience change. But that's not really what the final kind of suggestions of the film are. Sure. It is more along these ideas of, you know, diverting that money that's currently spent on incarceration into uh, community programs sure. or diversionary sure. programs that, you know, so people might be sentenced to community service rather than, you know, getting sent to prison, right. etc. Right. Which does seem like, again, and I haven't seen the film, so I can't really say this, but from your description, seems to kind of undermine the work that you said that they did with establishing the connection between, like, the invasion of the continent and over incarceration to be like, well, yeah, but let's kind of just tweak the outcomes in this colonial government system in terms of like how the courts make decisions or whatever, rather than being like, well, let's give the land back. And Mm. yeah, exactly. Oh, and I think, you know, there's this sort of, you know, it's, it's a well-produced film, uh, you know, don't think that would have been it's not dirt cheap in terms of production so there's going to be certain you know influences on it but also it's seems to me to be this very kind of traditional um what is very what is today a very traditional uh approach when it comes to the release of the film which is that it has what's called an impact campaign so it's you know uh the documentaries produced now have like basically these metrics that they're they're trying to accomplish right and so they have to have these like measurable goals they, right exactly and, and have this kind of list of policy developments that they would like to That's see so that they're trying to encourage it is a little bit weird but it's this sort of yeah it, it's kind of like uh this Just, quantification of of how good was your documentary how much change did it make that's kind of the approach and so there's this i i think there's probably some pressure and uh to, to have these kind of measurable outcomes, these achievable yeah, political yeah. things that can be lobbied for off the yeah. back of the documentary as well. Ultimately, it's, you know, it's very effective at delineating and establishing the problem. Um, and it has, you know, and obviously it's much harder to pr- present uh, you know, answers to these kinds of questions. And that's a problem right, we run right. into all the yeah. time on this mm-hmm. show. Uh, and I will run into later in my next segment for sure. Um, but that said, you know, I think it is really worth a watch. I think, you know, uh, if you, you know, if you're feeling kind of psychologically up to it, uh, I would really recommend it. Um, and 
you know, I've, while there there's been some debate around, you know, what kind of criticism, you know, it's um, uh, reasonable to direct at this mm-hmm. film, I think it's a healthy conversation, and I think it's yeah. leading to some really interesting discussions. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you can catch uh, Incarceration Nation on SBS On Demand um, for free. So, yeah, I'd recommend checking it out. All right, probably time now to move on. Hey, man, I got some more beers. Oh, I don't know if I can drink anymore. I'm feeling kind of sick. No, come on, we're having another round of Coronas. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure you're all familiar with the cool, refreshing COVID zero strategy. Uh, But the Victorian government has this week basically said that they have no more levers left to pull to deal with the virus. So they're releasing all new COVID no end in sight. Now with more lockdowns. Uh, yeah, so um, they have well been... Pardon? Well done. Oh, thanks. Yeah, so the the Victorian government has been subscribing to this COVID zero strategy, which is basically like we will use contract contact tracing and snap lockdowns to stop occasional cases from getting out of control. And now they're basically like, we're never getting this under control except for vaccines. So we've dropped the COVID zero strategy... And now both Victoria and New South Wales are essentially both in lockdown until we hit those, you know, 70%, 80% vaccination numbers that everyone keeps Mm -hmm. talking about. So this is from the ABC. These last few days have seen a dramatic shift in the nature and the number of cases coming forward, said Daniel Andrews. The experts are very clear with with us. We will not see these case numbers go down. They're going to go up. Um, And the focus is now on suppressing case numbers for long enough to, in the Premier's words, buy us time. Um... I'm not entirely sure what that means about by us time, but like I think it means just like in terms of the hospital system overwhelm that is like the real concern about run- runaway coronavirus cases. Yeah, I saw some reporting. I haven't looked into it uh, hugely, but um, I saw some reporting suggesting that COVID hospitalizations have actually been massively underreported by, pos- but like there could be as many as like three times the number of reported cases, and if that's true, like hospital resources are yeah already kind of stretched to the brink yeah yeah i saw some yeah there was an article that we went around that seems like maybe wasn't super good analysis but what it's a bit hard to say but they said that we were looking at something like forty-two thousand extra nurses that we would need um <laughs> yeah right yep uh so everyone please go and get vaccinated um unlike the person in south australia who booked 40, that's four zero forty 40 vaccine appointments and then didn't show up to any of them. Um, like to stop other people getting appointments? Unclear from what I could find. Right, okay. Um, other people are missing appointments for vaccines at a higher rate than they have been up until now. Um, and there's concerns that vaccines will spoil, and I think that's specifically Pfizer, which needs to be like chilled, and they keep them in like packs of several, and then they need to like have everyone booked in a row, so they can give them all the right amount. Uh, I don't quite know the details, but there's concerns right. about vaccine spoilage from people not coming to appointments. Um, and yeah, one of the issues seems to be that people are booking appointments and then getting earlier ones, and then going to the earlier ones, but not cancelling the one that they have booked, and then that spot is someone who can't get a vaccine booking. Right. So okay. please cancel your appointments if you aren't going to go. 
Yeah, so that's kind of that. Oh, yeah, and uh, the uh, the government has got uh, four million extra Pfizer doses from the United Kingdom. So good. Um, great. But now we've got a whole lot of really bad and sad um, coronavirus news, including mm. um, some more stuff about indigenous deaths. So very sadly, uh, an indigenous man in Dubbo died of the coronavirus this week, and he's the first um, Aboriginal person to die of the disease in Australia. Um, but as you discussed, I think it was last week, Zach, there is an outbreak in Wilcannia exploding and um, outbreaks mm. in Dubbo continuing to grow. Um, and this issue of coronavirus getting into Aboriginal communities has been identified right from the very start of the pandemic as a huge potential problem. And yeah. the government is absolutely culpable for their lack of action. Yeah. So um, on that note, uh, Linda Burney, who's the um, Labor Indigenous Affairs shadow minister, said, this is a national disgrace. I'm laying it squarely at the feet of the federal government. They knew this was going to happen. And they did nothing to prevent it. She said, I'm terribly afraid this will be the first death of many. Um, and she also pointed to outbreaks in New South Wales prisons as disproportionately impacting First Nations people in several ways. She said, mm. we know that a very large percentage of the prison population is Aboriginal, and we also know that a large percentage have underlying health conditions. So, you know, Aboriginal people are more likely to be in prison, and then people in prison are more likely to get coronavirus, and then Aboriginal people are also more likely to have underlying health conditions, and so they're put in these yep. COVID hot houses and then it's a death sentence um and so yes yeah, so though this is sort of the next story which is that there's been huge outbreaks of the coronavirus in prisons mm. um so at the articles that i could find this morning there were nearly a hundred people um and so maybe more by now in parkley prison who have been infected with the coronavirus and um listeners remember we you talked about parkley prison a few a month or so ago when there was um uh, the protests for the BLM. Um, yeah. 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 BLM protests. And now, um, I mean, yeah, protests against conditions in the prison and partially, you know, conditions that had been uh, imposed since the pandemic. Totally. Um, yeah. So, you know, this is what, you know, we're discussing that COVID doesn't, ju you know, not just a direct risk, but also makes life for people mm -hmm. who are in prison so much harder in a number yep. of other ways as well. Yeah, the response yeah, has been... essentially been to sentence everyone to permanent solitary confinement, which is not yep. what their sentences are. And, like, is obviously miles worse than isolating by yourself at home. Um, yeah. So, yeah, there are nearly 100 cases in Parkley, uh, 50 more in Silverwater, one at the Silverwater Women's Prison, and a bunch of guards tested positive at Bathurst Prison, which... I don't know how many fucking prisons we have, but it seems like we've got too many fucking prisons. But anyway. Yeah. So, too many prisons in Western Sydney alone. What the fuck? Yeah. yeah. So, yes, there are these hot houses for infection. Everyone's in solitary confinement, but also it's worse than that. So this is from NITV. Uh, Wiradjuri woman Kylie Hughes said that her son hasn't been allowed to leave his cell in five days due to the lockdown, which happened mm. after inmates were transferred from Parkley. She believes there's a lack of care towards prisoners by staff. Corrections don't see them as human beings, she said. They're just a mere number. They've had two days where they've washed all the inmates' clothings, but they haven't done my son's or his cellmate's, and they haven't removed the rubbish out of the cell for five days. It's a breach of their basic human rights. So, like, they were like, 
we'll do everyone's washing in f- over two days and then didn't. And this is, I mean, like, this is such a direct continuation of the things that are talked about in Incarceration Nation. Yeah, yeah. That the, this, like, really just absolutely horrifying dehumanization of prisoners, this us-first-them attitude mm-hmm. that prison guards have, you know, and yes, they all, like, prisons are also understaffed. We know that this is a mm-hmm. common problem, and specific to Parkley as a private prison as well. Right, right. There's this kind of, you know, extra fucked, um, like, profit motive reducing the level of basic care for mm-hmm. people. And then you throw into this mix, like, this deadly, massively infectious disease. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it, it, like you was mentioning before noon that there have, you know, people have been sounding the alarm about COVID making its way into Aboriginal communities since the pandemic first emerged and the government sat by and did nothing. And now we've got this horrible circumstance. It's exactly the same in prisons, like people, prison advocates, totally uh, advocates for, for, you know, for incarcerated people have been saying this since the very Mm -hmm. beginning, that it is such a dangerous situation. Totally. It's now it's too late. And so indeed prisoners were identified as high priority groups for vaccine roll out as were aboriginal mm. people and yet this woman's son was like doubly uh yep. you know counted and she said that he tried to ask guards i think she said six or seven times over the last mm. five weeks and that they have written written stuff verbal stuff and that they just like didn't do it and now this happens so but uh, as well as that, The Guardian reports that, quote, vaccines earmarked for New South Wales prisoners were redirected to HSC students in Sydney, despite inmates who are meant to be prioritised under the rollouts making persistent requests to be Jesus. vaccinated. The state's prisoner vaccination program stalled as doses were redirected in late July as part of the government's plan to vaccinate Year 12 students. What the fuck, guys? Uh, like, Year 12 students should also get vaccines, but they're not being forced to be in a prison. There have been some calls for prisoners to be released, and there was this really good article by um, Mm. Hannah Ryan and Tiffany Turnbull, no relation as far as I could tell, um, that was published in a few different places. Um, I'm just going to read a quote from that. Corrective Services maintains a list of several hundred low-risk and vulnerable inmates who could be released if the situation became dire enough. These are highly overcrowded environments where there is no capacity to socially isolate, there is no ventilation, and there's no access to community health care, said University of Technology Sydney professor Talia Anthony. We fear that these people are setting ducks, and what is happening is a death sentence for people in prison. Keenan Mundine from the First Nations non-profit Deadly Connections pleaded for the government to spell out its plans for releasing prisoners and improving vaccination rates. We know how vulnerable our Aboriginal members are in the community, and when they're in custody, that's exacerbated through the roof, he said. That's interesting. Keenan Mundine is actually one of the main uh, interviewees in Incarceration right. Nation. Right. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, Zach, j- uh, to round off this story, I want to ask you, have you ever heard of Chris Minns? No. Okay. I, well, I think so. based solely on his name... What do you think his opinion of the outbreak in COVID uh, in jails is? I mean, he sounds like a middle-aged white guy to me, so I imagine his opinion is bad. That's my guess. Yeah. So he's the leader of the New South Wales Labour Party, um, uh, uh, as of a few months ago. 
Chris Minns. Yeah. Um, and he said he was, quote, hugely concerned about the prospect of hundreds of prisoners being released early. So... Oh, fucking hell. Just absolutely nothing Fuck. at all. How could that possibly be your response? Yeah. You know, on the one hand, yeah, we've got hundreds of people potentially getting sick and many of them dying. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, we have treating people with fucking dignity. You can see the bind I'm in. Mm-hmm. These people are just... Oh my god! Yeah, I I couldn't find anything more from Chris Minns about that. Um, That's probably yeah. good. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think we need to hear guy. any more uh, from Chris Minns. Yeah. No, I mean right. this. Like, it's really hard. That you know, I, I didn't really sum up before when I was talking about uh, that documentary, but this mm-hmm. is a hundred percent in you know a kind of continuation of many of those same themes but the one you know the the kind of overwhelming sense that i got coming away from that documentary mm-hmm. was just like you know <laughs> we talk about it all the time in this show it's something that we're kind of very conscious of as leftists um but like our society is just so brutal it is so unequal mm-hmm. you know you like looking at stuff like this it's 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 incomprehensible to me that politicians can get up and claim, you know, that we're a prosperous, successful nation. Look at what we are subjecting these people to. Yeah. Look at what we've sub- subjected Indigenous people to for generations. People who are just getting ground into the dirt in order to pay for the safety and and wealth of the rest of the population. And it's this is- not even, really. Like, it's generating wealth for the people who own the prisons. But, like, it's bad Everyone. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I fully agree. It's it's horrifying and disgusting, and we say it every week that there's a genocide still happening, and this is, you know, this is fucking it. We're, like, deliberately letting these people get infected with the disease that we know is likely to kill them. And, like, it's just fucking horrible. Yeah, it's it's really hard to sort of square this kind of news with reality you you know it's it's like it just it feels it feels so kind of apocalyptic but you know even that's kind of an ignorant perspective because Mm. this is you know this is a continuation of exactly yeah but it's yeah it's 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 really really difficult to process it feels like it's just like how couldn't how is everybody not upset about this how Mm. is everybody how you know How is this allowed to just be standard operating procedure? Um, yeah. Yep. Anyway, I wish I had something more helpful to sum up there, but um, instead I might move on to our next segment, um, which, again, <laughs> sorry, everyone. It's just, it's so much bad news at the moment. And um, this story is kind of... Um, I guess there's been a lot in the news about sort of systemic misogyny this week uh, over the last couple of weeks um and it's always there in our political mm-hmm. systems mm-hmm. in our society um but you know part of the process of selecting stories for this show is you know when these things kind of uh build to some kind of critical mass where it's like oh you like it's just it's just, the misogyny jumped out this week is I guess what I'm trying to say 
And we will give a content warning here for this next discussion. There will be mentions of sexual assault and rape and domestic violence. We're not going to go into a huge amount of detail about any of those things, but those subjects are going to come up. So we'll put time codes in the show notes if you'd rather skip over this story. So let's start off here talking about John Secker. We mentioned him at the top of the show, I think, last week because um, his wife, Emma Walters, uh, has has said says that uh, he assaulted her. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a photo of her injuries. The police are investigating it. Um, John Secker, if listeners aren't aware, is the Victorian Secretary of the CFM8 and EU, the Construction, Forestry, Mining, Maritime, and Electrical Union. Getting that Sounds right? Yep. Yeah. Right to me. Yeah. Engineering? Which engineering? Is... I'm not sure about electrical. Anyway. Energy union. Sorry, yeah. Energy, not electricians. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, this is, from my perspective, obviously true. Like, yep. Secker... Uh, denies it because he's a lying piece of shit but um i believe his wife emma mm-hmm. walters yep and also it's in line with other things that he's said and done before yes uh in 2019 Secker was convicted of harassing emma walters and breaching court orders it was something like 45 instances of like harassment and breaching court orders uh, and he really should have been booted yeah from the union back then yep. at the time the head of the act the australian council of trained un- trade unions aka the big union for other unions uh the head of the act sally mcmanus called for him to step down mm-hmm. um as did a bunch of other unions uh notably absent from that list was Vic- the victorian trades hall um and i was reading uh this long piece by ben schneider's in the age this week about john setka and in that piece uh the head of Victorian of Victoria Trades Hall, Luke Hilkari, is described as being one of Setka's quote enablers by uh someone within the union movement. Um so Vic Trades Hall, get your fucking shit together. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, the only real consequence that Setka suffered suffered back in twenty nineteen was that his Labour Labour Party membership was revoked. Yeah. Uh, or at least Labour's version is that they expelled him. Setka says that he resigned mm-hmm, which like mm-hmm. tells you a lot about the guy um yeah so he's got form not just for being an abuser but for saying misogynist shit in public as you say yeah. noon uh famously he said in a it was in a union with the uh, a meeting with a bunch of other union heads i think it was That's right yeah, yeah um that he said that men have fewer rights because of anti-violence campaigner rosie batty uh-huh is, yeah what you would expect a violent misogynist to say um, so it looks now like the manufacturing and mining divisions are going to try to quit mm-hmm. the CFMMEU, um, as a result of these divisions, which have been, you know, if not created by Setka, then massively exacerbated by him. Sure. I mean, he's literally like hired private investigators to surveil other people within the union, massive pressuring of like Solid his internal opponents. Forever, <laughs> you tell me about it. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm not super familiar with the ins and outs of factional politics within the CFMEU or the wider union movement, so mm-hmm. I'm sure there are listeners who could probably shed more light on this. But I wanted to read a, a quote from that Ben Schneider's article in The Age, which I think um, sort of sums it up fairly neatly in terms of what Setka's impact on the union has been. 
For decades, the union has survived concerted attacks from conservative governments and big business. There's been royal commissions, police charges, and special industrial regulators. It endured all that was thrown at it. In the end, though, it has destroyed itself in a climate of payback, deep paranoia, and a failure by some of its leaders to adapt to changing social mores or to stand up. Yet, if Setka had resigned two years ago, it is almost certain the union would have survived. Mm. Instead, one man's will to power and refusal to bend has now brought it undone. In 2019, he told hundreds of activists that he wanted to confront the scandal swirling around him head on. I was going to call a media conference today, get all the media here, sit down, and they probably expect me to say I was resigning, Setka said in secretly recorded comments. But that was not his real message. Listen, I just want to say, I want to tell everyone to get fucked. Um, that's the how the article concludes. Obviously, like, the decline of the movement... Yeah. <laughs> the decline of the union movement is, you know... Is, is very long and and and, uh -huh. and complicated, and may, maybe this is has a slight overemphasis on Setka's role in the kind of like, you know, fracturing of the CFMEU. But it's like pretty clear, I think, that there's a message here, which mm -hmm. is that leaving massive misogynist assholes in leadership mm -hmm. positions in nominally progressive movements is a recipe for fucking disaster. Yeah. Like, obviously your internal culture is going to completely break mm -hmm. down. If you've got a guy who's been convicted of harassing his wife, walking around union offices making jokes about domestic violence. Yeah. Like, what? Like, even what forget that it's a fucking for? union. Yeah. Yeah, like, what kind of workplace would allow for that? It's just, that's fucking disgusting. And obviously the sad answer is many. But, you know... Within the union movement, we're supposed to be holding ourselves to a higher standard. You know, we're supposed to be for social progress, for equality. And this guy embodies the absolute opposite of all of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, if as a union movement, you are not standing up for women, literally, what the fuck are you good for? Yeah. Like, I just don't think it could be any clearer than that. You know, this guy needs to fucking go everybody who is caping for him refusing to stand up and condemn him doing anything they can to get rid of him like you also need to go frankly you know the fact that this has gone on as long as it has yeah you know. yeah look no, enough said anyway i wanted to lay that little bit of groundwork it's a mm -hmm. story that's been in the news but here's another thing i wanted to talk about which is the uh, respect at work which if you haven't seen it written down lucky for you but it's respect and then at sign work okay i couldn't tell you why but anyway it's a national inquiry from the australian human rights commission into sexual harassment mm -hmm. in workplaces which is delivered by the sex discrimination commissioner name of kate jenkins uh this was a report that was delivered in march 2020 uh and one of the notes from the i've got a quote here from the um uh from the introductory section of the report uh which i thought was a you know a salient statistic almost two in five women and just over one in four men have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace in the past five years aboriginal and torres strait islander people were more likely to have experienced workplace sexual harassment than people who were non-indigenous uh and the uh, which is you know not i think surprising but still deeply upsetting mm -hmm. Uh, but this report makes 55 recommendations, among them are um, amending the Sex Discrimination Act so that sex-based harassment is expressly prohibited. Sure, seems good, um, yeah. 
seems seems like a good common sense thing. Introducing paid family and domestic violence leave mm-hmm. into the national employment standards. Mm-hmm. That would have been great. That's kind of happening, you know, like family and domestic violence leave is something that unions are advocating for on a kind of mm-hmm. ad hoc basis at the moment. Uh, it's different between workplaces and industries at the moment, but having like that as a nationally standardized thing was another thing yep. that was suggested. Um, uh, here's an, uh, another recommendation, and I quote, and then the Sex Discrimination Act to introduce a positive duty on all employers to take reasonable and proportionate measures to eliminate sex discrimination, sexual harassment, and victimization as far as possible. Um, and I have another quote here from the opening uh, section, which I thought summed up the kind of uh, general direction that this report is suggesting okay. that you know workplaces move in. I call on all employers to join me in creating safe, gender equal and inclusive workplaces, no matter their industry or size. This will require transparency, accountability and leadership. It will also require a shift from the current reactive model that requires complaints from individuals to a proactive model, which will require positive actions from employers. Um, Which I think, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the paradigm shift that's at the heart of this report from my perspective. And that makes sense as far as that previous quote you read out as well in terms of introducing a positive duty to take reasonable and proportionate measures rather than to, like, deal with something once it happens. Now... Exactly. Or or, or being culpable for neglect. Now there's a positive duty to... Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you'll find that... Exactly, yeah. And you'll find that rhetoric, you know, in... um, you know, more broadly in, in, um, anti-family violence campaigning, mm-hmm. uh, where, you know, base where the, the, the movement is now towards like prevention rather than just response, uh, which of course makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, so yeah, this report was released, 55 recommendations were made. And then the Morrison government, of course, completely ignored it, um, sure. until they couldn't, which was almost exactly a year later when former Liberal staffer Brittany Higgins revealed that she had been raped in Parliament House and suddenly it became a matter of political expediency for the Morrison government to acknowledge sexual harassment and assault happens in workplaces Uh and they need to be seen to be doing something about it. So, with all that laid out, the ACTU, from before you remember, that's a big union, has been campaigning on implementing the recommendations Mm -hmm. But given what's been going on with SECA over the past couple of weeks, right. it kind of rubs the wrong way a little bit, especially the fact that, you know, they're campaigning for paid family and domestic violence leave. Uh, you know, the ACTU has no formal power to kick mm-hmm. SECA out. As far as I understand it, it has to come from within the CFMMEU. Someone has to... Unlike uh, him or whatever. Yeah, they have to charge him with bringing the union into disrepute, and then there's a legal proceeding. Okay, but you know, there's no like, there's there's been no public comment from Sally McManus that I can find on this most recent incident. Mm-hmm. And you know, the ACTU have said that they won't comment on matters that are before the courts. Which are like, if you're starting to sound like a politician, you know, maybe you need to do a little bit of reflection. I don't know exactly what to demand here. Sure, you know, because like, like saying don't campaign for this stuff seems like not a good ask. no but it's like if even within the union movement you know you have abusers just allowed to stay in positions uh-huh, of power uh-huh. like how can you expect to affect change on a national level mm. you know i don't know it's it's complicated but it's you know it's a a contradiction that 
uh, yeah, I think it was first pointed out to me by Leah um, from Loud Angry and Not Sorry mm-hmm. um, on Twitter. And I was, yeah, and it just kind of, yeah, I don't know. It sets your brain working in all these very um, enraging ways. But yeah, so anyway, Morrison said that his government would accept all 55 recommendations from the Respect at Work report. Okay. But this good. week, yeah, and that was, you know, in the midst of the, of you know, or in the aftermath of uh, Brittany Higgins uh, going public going with forward, her story. Yeah. Mm. Um, but this week... The bill that would actually legislate those changes was mm-hmm. voted on in Parliament, and the Morrison government voted against 49 of the 55 recommendations yeah. of the report. Uh, and this is from a tweet uh, from Brittany Higgins. Um, so these are some of the, she lists some of the things that the government voted down. They include changes to workplace laws to ban sexual harassment. Okay. What the fuck? <laughs> yep. Why isn't that on the. Mm, yeah, I think that would be a top-line item. Uh, requirements for employers to try to stop sexual harassment in the workplace. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so sort of removing that uh, or, you know, not agreeing to that positive responsibility. And protecting victims of sexual harassment against massive legal bills for taking actions against perpetrators. So, yeah, they didn't do most of what the report said. Mm-hmm. Here's what they did vote in favour of. They voted in favour of removing exemptions for parliamentarians um, who are currently exempt from sexual harassment penalties due to parliamentary privilege. Uh, they, they agreed to okay. uh, having sexual harassment be considered grounds for dismissal from a job. Okay. And they agreed to changing the time frame for making a complaint um, from six months to two years. Uh, uh-huh. Which, like, that's all good, but it definitely is also stuff that makes you go, how the fuck was that not already the case? Yeah, yeah, you totally. know, yeah. Like, if anything, the penalty should be worse for parliamentarians. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why would they be exempt? Like, so fucking... I don't even see stuff. how that ties into actual, you know, parliamentary privilege, which I at least can see the rationale behind, even if it's, I, I, don't, I don't have a strong take about it in general. But like, what if this is just stuff that you do? You're not like in parliament giving a speech. That's mm. not the crime that we're mm. concerned about here. I don't know. I, yeah. No, I mean, and there were all there were these like. uh you know, one of the things that early on Brittany Higgins was speaking about was that there's no sort of workplace protection for staffers in Parliament yeah. House. Yeah, um, yeah, I remember is, us yeah, discussing that a, a while ago, yeah, that again, they're, like, carefully carved out from employment legislation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Super fucking cool. So, essentially, the Liberal Party have, like, agreed to the changes that should have been there already, mm-hmm. but also kind of, you know, specifically directly relate to the Brittany Higgins case, from my perspective. Like, that seems to be the stuff, you know, they're t- the Parliament, uh, sexual uh-huh. harassment being considered grounds for dismissal, you know, changing the time frame for complaints. This is all stuff that, so, you know, it's like they can look like they're responding to, you know, the issue, but really they're just kind of covering these bases that specifically pertain to this one case, which... I don't know. Maybe that's a cynical read, but that's what smacks up to me. But the main thing, um, you know, is that they've rejected the suggestions that would actually constitute meaningful reform, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, changing the culture around sexual harassment and assault, you know, from one that puts the onus on victim survivors to report it to one 
that makes it the responsibility of the workplace, yep. which is really like, as I said, what I thought the, the really the heart of that respect at work report uh, was, was mm -hmm. encouraging this, you know, yeah, this shift in perspective on that. And that's what the government has essentially completely rejected out of hand, which I is was, unsurprising. Yeah. You know. I was talking to um friend confidant member of our inner sanctum coot about this uh, recently. And, um, she made a point that's kind of similar to what we were talking about with like vaccines for indigenous people being like, you know, you knew you had to do this. You've deliberately gone out of your way not to make these changes. And like, at what point do we start saying this was like an active decision to encourage yeah. harm, right? Yeah. Encourage indigenous people to die in mm. prisons or encourage people to perpetrate sexual harassment in workplaces. Like at some point you've been in power long enough. You literally had this bill go to parliament you've crafted and have been like, well, no, we actually want to make it really nice and easy for people to commit these crimes and to assault these people. And like, yeah, we, at some point we need, need to say it's an active decision in favor of the things that they're refusing to act on. Um, and I think that like this bill is, probably you know that that time is long past right like we've known that the government are pro misogyny and pro violence against women for a long time but mm. like i feel like if you're a bit on the fence about that far left take of ours like this bill is a great point at which to be like no no this is yet another bridge too far yeah, well, I think, you know, you can basically say that it's an explicit policy position for them. Right, right. Um, and you don't have to even just look at, you know, the things that they are encouraging by omission mm -hmm. or by, you know, by not voting for them. Look mm -hmm. at what they are doing in a practical sense. Look at the fact that they've abolished the fucking family court. Look yep. at the fact that just this week as well, the internal investigation into who knew what when about Brittany Higgins, the investigation into that has been suspended. Look at wow. the fact that, you know, just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, whatever it was that Christian Porter was temporarily promoted yeah, to yeah. leader of the house, despite the fact that he's been, you know, accused of, of rape. Like, there is, yeah, it, it's it's not, it's it's fair to call it, and the, you know, and it, like misogyny and sexism are explicit, mm -hmm. active policy positions of this government. You know, even within a pre-existing system that is, you know, built on misogyny, yeah, yeah. you know, it's one of its kind of foundational values. Even within that, the Liberal Party still manages to go above and beyond and find new, innovative, agile ways to fuck women over. I had a whole extra section here about um, the National Women's Safety Summit, which uh, started the day after the Morrison government voted uh, against a bunch of those recommendations from the respect at work report. Uh -huh. But I don't know if we really need to go into it. Uh, you know, the, it's more of the same. Maybe next week. Yeah, exactly. Maybe next week when we see what the kind of results they release from that summit, are, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. we can talk about it further. Essentially it's a summit to um, talk about what's going to go into the development of the next national plan to end violence against women and their children. Right. Um, the previous plan has been in place for like a decade and basically domestic violence has gone up in that time. So, you know, and we know it's a really, really uh, like 
that the pandemic has resulted in a massive spike in you know in yeah. domestic violence as well. So, you know, it's it's kind of like it is a crucial time to be to be talking about this stuff. You know, it's not just oh yeah, it's it's this continuing problem that's been around for a while. It's like no, it's 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 a really crucial time to be doing something about it right now. And the government is, you know, basically they're just covering their ass, commissioning reports, saying that they've done stuff when they haven't, having these fucking meetings and then having them chaired by people who've, you know, never spoken up, you know, against misogyny basically mm-hmm. once in their political career. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really have... <laughs> like an uh concluding you know, narrative i don't i don't have a concluding narrative here yeah, yeah. i just there were the you know so many kind of just really really bald instances of um like systemic misogyny uh in australian politics this week i felt like we had to talk about it i wish that i had some kind of um you know neat bow to wrap it up with on the end but um i don't know if you're not angry, get angry, and if you are angry, stay angry. John Setka resign. John 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 Setka resign, you gaping asshole. All right. Um Shall we finish up the show? Yeah. If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. If it's not technically podcasting, you still gotta do that shit. Man. Well, there's the it's, our last the story is always the heaviest one. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> it's like going to uh, <laughs> Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for listening. Sorry about all of the world the being bad so news. bad right now. But if you like listening to us being sad about the world, you can support us financially at patreon.com forward slash ospolsnackpod. Um, for a dollar a month, you get access to our Discord. You can you can talk to us and see photos of the food that we're snacking on. Um, you can chat with us about bullshit. Um, you get a bonus monthly episode, a monthly bonus episode, even. Um, yeah, where we talk about some other stuff that's going on. Uh, and if you don't want to give us money, that's totally fine. Uh, you can support us in other ways, like sharing us with friends. Just like su- subscribe to the show on, on their phones. Um, not that you should be touching your friends' phones at this point in the pandemic. I take that back. <laughs> just message them. Just message them with a link to our show and be like, "Wow, this is really good." <laughs> Listen to this show. Somewhat like a review, if you will. But like just to your friends. But you can also leave a public review over on Apple Podcasts. I would really That's like right. that. Uh, also follow us on social media. Podcasts. Yeah. Like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. The usuals. Yeah. I feel like you're waiting for me to jump in with something, but I'm not. I've just been monologuing about this for a while. That's fine. No, all good. I'll keep going. <laughs> we do actually have one. Well, it's not really a review, but it. it I mean, it it's is, five stars. It's not not a review. It's just not a it, like Apple podcast doesn't count as a review. This is a, a tweet on the tweet website from Jacob Massive Jew at Hail from the Pale. Um <laughs> Uh, it's great uh, image for your account, but also you can you can follow Jacob over on Twitch.tv forward slash Hail from the Pale. He plays uh, the Wikipedia game on stream sometimes, um, and he said this: I don't have Apple Podcasts, so I can't leave a review. You should all listen to Ozpol Snackpod five stars, Dunkler Skunk, um, which I believe is the name of his dog. Um, yeah, thank you, Dunk. 
Thank you, Jacob. Mess, Uh yeah. yeah. Please cool. support the show if you like the show. Um, That's just enough about that. Uh, watch me play Twitch games on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash noon plays games. I play games. It's true. All right. Now it's time for a pub game. I, I, actually, no, I got one. Um, so Dante is food obsessed mm-hmm. and essentially you can't really have him around while you're eating unless you're willing to basically have most of your attention focused on keeping your food away from him. Mm-hmm. And Holly and I have taken to eating in the living room on like the coffee table. Like we mm-hmm. sit on the floor mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to you know, nice. and, like yeah. a regular yeah. human size. I like table. sitting on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fine. It's cool. Uh, the living room is nicer. It's the yeah. nicer, nicer, it's the nicer room for dinner, but you can't have but Dante in there because the table's at head height. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, when we have dinner, we close. We give Dante his dinner outside, mm-hmm. and then we close the living room door mm-hmm. and we eat. And he just has to wait outside the living room until we're done eating. Then we put our food away. But you know, when he's feeling a bit um, uh, cheekier than uh-huh. normal, uh-huh. he'll like, like he always lies in wait outside the living room door. Kind of sneaks his snoot under. Usually, it's not that much of a bother, but sometimes he's like. I know all about gentle whinges of wanting to be in a different side of a door. Yeah. Why aren't you giving me your dinner? Uh, Anyway, we were eating dinner last night. And then I noticed that I hadn't heard Dante, like, come to the door and sort of hassle to come in. And I was like, huh, I wonder if he's, like, chilling out a little bit. I wonder if he's just sort of learned that we're not going to let him in. It's not happening. He's he's using this chance to relax instead. Mm -hmm. So we finished our dinner, and then I opened the living room door. Dante wasn't there. I was like, oh, he must be upstairs. So I call him down, and then I hear, um, I need to get something to do. The, like, the, hear his footsteps coming down the, uh, I, I hear his uh, little poor, poor steps coming down, the, coming down the stairs like this. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Dante, what the fuck have you been getting into? And he come downstairs and look at his paws. And on one paw, he's got tissue lodged in between each okay. of his pads. Okay. Like, so it's That's just like... It's impressive. Yeah, like pad. And on the other paw, he's got the corner of a packet of chips just, like, stuck to it. And so he's walking around making this... <laughs> Amazing. And, so, and he's just been like the reason he was quiet is because he was upstairs going through the bin in my office, which I like shouldn't have left a chip packet in there. That is at least partially on me. But like the moment of being like, hey, I wonder if my dog has been a good boy. Yeah. And he's just upstairs like, <laughs> like in the garbage. <laughs> like, I doing the opposite that. of learning to be a good boy. <laughs> I always think about that bit in The Simpsons where I think they go to a parent-teacher interview. Uh, that's right. It's uh, um, one of the itchy and scratchy movie. And um, uh, Marge is saying to the teacher, oh, but, you know, he just has trouble. I'm sure he doesn't mean to be bad. And then smash cut to Bart. Now's our chance to be bad. Um, yeah, it's that. <laughs> that is very the, much Dante's vibe. Yeah. Yes. Uh, look, very briefly, Bale's been, you know, he's been fine recently. There's not a whole lot going on the pandemic. 
uh, this morning for the first time in several months, he bashed down uh, uh, like a barricade, ran down the side of the house, chased the cat down the side of the house, and on the way managed to step in about four of his own poos. Which is like, you know, that's my bad for not picking up the poo. It's been a bit rainy, you know, in my defense. It's not a nice time. But he just... He just... He really just nailed like, it. Really, just like it was like he was, uh, you know, American Ninja four Warrior. Four. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's that's the whole thing. Hopscotch. Yeah. He didn't catch the, the cat. He's fine. Uh, it, actually, it was pretty cute. Previously, when he's done this, he like barks and like you know gets outraged. And this time, he was just kind of like that. You know, the cat gets in through a side window. He was just kind of like looking pretty calm, ears down, tail down, just like sniffing hopefully and interestedly at the window. And I was like, it's kind of cute, but still very naughty. Yeah. Still, stop putting poo on the wall. No, no thanks. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that's going to do us. Thank you all so much for listening. Yeah, thanks for coming along. Look, you know, it's grim times. It's it's grim. It's it's a grim situation sort of all around right now. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We spoke last week a little bit about trying to refocus... Uh, some of the conversations around, you know, productive outlets for the kind of problems that we talk about on the show. Um, so, you know, we'll make an effort to do that in future, but, you know. I finally understand this, why shit in the face. not good enough subtitle is inadequate responses to inadequate responses. It, yeah, yeah, you're right. No, it is a really good title. It is. It, but, it explains look, the podcast, our podcast quite well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, thank you for tuning in, and um, uh, yeah, we we uh, we appreciate all of your support, and I hope that everybody is doing as well as they possibly can out there. And until next week, make sure you keep on snacking in the free world. Being happy brings healthy heart and beauty. Is that right? Yeah, no, that was right. I just still sometimes I feel I am waiting for the crunch crunch, even though crunch crunch, it you know it comes and goes. It do- it does it does it does crunch crunch. Crunch, crunch.